Good to see all of you. Uh, happy Veterans Day weekend. Uh, if we have any veterans in here, thank you guys for serving. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed the long weekend. Do any of you guys in here enjoy traveling? Who likes to travel? Okay, yeah, mo most, most of you. I, I love traveling. I've actually been traveling a, a lot recently. Um, I was in Disney World a couple weekends ago. Yeah, uh, this past week I spent most of my week in Michigan. We had our annual staff conference up there uh, where there's actually staff from all these other collegiate churches that we're partnered with that are doing similar kinds of things that we are here. Across the country, we all gathered together and just had a, a great time of worship and equipping and encouragement and fellowship. So that was really good. Um, but as, as much as I love to travel, there's also something that's great about getting back home. And eventually, if you're gone for long enough, you kind of get to a point where you're tired of living in a temporary home, you know, your hotel or your Airbnb or your tent or whatever it may be, and you kind of long to just get back to your real home. And this is true in a physical sense, but I believe that it's also true in a spiritual sense. You see, if you're a Christian, living in this world can feel like you are living in a foreign land that's not actually your home. And if it feels that way, it actually should, because to some degree, that, that's true. Like, we are new creations. The Bible speaks of us as being citizens of heaven. This world is actually not our home anymore. You know, God has actually promised us a better home. And for now, we actually live and wait in this world as temporary residents, or to use a term that I like that you'll see today, uh, we live as sojourners. And so today, as we continue our series through the book of Genesis that we've been doing all semester, we're going to read about a man that was living as a sojourner, a temporary resident, in a foreign land, waiting to go back to his land. And in it, we're going to learn some lessons about how to live while we are away from our true home. So let's pray, and then we will dive into our main text for today. God, we love you, and we just thank you that you love us. God, I thank you that we can come and, and we can worship you and uh, we can draw near to you, Lord, and that you don't rebuff us, but like you, you invite us to come and you want us to. And we're here to worship you, Lord. We're here to hear from you. We're here to be instructed from your word. And God, I, I just pray that you would reward the faithfulness of the people in the room this morning. God, that as, as they've come to, as we've come to seek you, uh, that you would be found. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would move powerfully in our time together this morning. Lord, we ask that you would be praised and that you would move in us to, to help us be transformed into the people that you want us to be. We know this is for your glory and for our good. We love you a ton, God. We thank you for who you are, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so last week we were introduced to a man named Abram, okay? There's a famous guy in the Bible named Abraham. It's actually the same guy, uh, but his name will get changed a little bit later on. So for right now, he's still Abram. And we see that God had made a special covenant with him. That means that he made a, a uh, promise to this man. He entered into a special relationship with him. And we see that this is the promise that God made to him. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So John preached on that passage last week. And uh, we see that God had really promised Abram some awesome things here, that he promised to make him a great nation, that he was going to give him descendants, that he, he promised to bless him, to make his name great. He promised that he would bless the whole world through this man, Abram. And John showed us last week that God is a God of partnership, that when he wants to accomplish something on the earth, he oftentimes picks a person or people to work through in order to accomplish that mission. And we have seen actually all throughout the book of Genesis so far that God desires to bless mankind. It's a clear desire that we see from the Lord in Scripture and even here in these early chapters of Genesis. He desires what is good for human beings. Right? We saw this with creation over and over, this statement, and it was good, and it was good, it was good. All of creation was good. This is the kind of, of land that he wanted to prepare for his people. He made humans to rule over all of creation, and he explicitly blessed them in giving them this divine responsibility. We see that in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see that God has this clear desire to bless humans and to give us what is good. However, we've also seen that we have a tendency, rather, to seek after our own idea of what is good. Now this is really foolish and it's gotten us into a lot of trouble when we've replaced God's idea of what is good for our own ideas of what is good. We saw that Adam and Eve did this in judging for themselves that the fruit that they were not supposed to eat would actually be good for them. It wasn't. And tragically, this led to a fall that led to a lot of stuff that's not actually good for us. They were cast out of the garden. Curse of sin came upon all of creation. We've seen a whole lot of death and judgment. We've seen people murdering each other. Uh, we've seen the, the flood wiping out almost all of the living creatures on the earth. And yet, despite all of this sin and foolishness on the part of humans, we see that God's desire to bless humans and give them what is good has not changed. No matter how long the human beings have continued to go after that which is not good, God's desire has stayed the same, which is to bless, to give what is good. And we saw this in the way that he preserved humans by saving Noah and his family on the ark. And even with this reset, once again, we, you, you start back over with the most righteous man on the earth and his family, and what happens? Human beings continue to go after their own version of what is good rather than what God said, trying to make a name for themselves rather than exalting God. We saw that at the Tower of Babel, and God scattered them. But even after the scattering, God's desire is still to bless mankind. And he brings us another man that God chose to work through in order to accomplish his purposes, which is this guy, Abram. God called him to leave his country, go to a land that he would show him. And as we've already stated, God promised to bless Abram as well as the whole world through his descendants. And in this promise, he, he promised to bless the descendants of Abram with a specific land. In Genesis 12, 7, it said, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The land was an important part of the promise to Abram. 
It was part of the plan that God had to make Abram's descendants into a great nation that he would bless the whole world through. And so it goes along with the theme that we've already seen in Scripture actually here in Genesis as well, where God is preparing a good land for humans to dwell in. We saw him do this at creation, and now even after all this, the sin and shortcomings of mankind, we still see that God is preparing a good land for his people to dwell in, and that he would use this to bless the whole world. But like many good things, there's a waiting period before Abram actually got what was promised. I want us to read on and see what happens here with this promise of the land. Uh, Genesis 12, we'll start at verse 8. Then he proceeded from there, this is right after the promise that God would give him the land. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. We'll stop there. It's an interesting development in our story, right? Like God blesses uh, Abram with this, this land, said, I'm going to give this to you, and then right after that, a famine actually forces him to leave this land of promise. And it makes me think about the fact that just because God promises something, it doesn't mean that we're always going to get it right away. There's oftentimes a waiting period before we get to fully receive and enjoy the good things that the Lord has for us. We as Christians have all sorts of future promises, really good promises that we are waiting to inherit. Right? Like we're going to get resurrection bodies. Those are going to be cool. Uh, read all about that in 1 Corinthians 15. What's, what's sown perishable, this body that we know decays and will pass away, is going to be raised imperishable. There's a day where, where sickness and you know, even the kind of things Caleb was talking about that afflicted his mom, like those, those things aren't going to happen to our resurrection bodies. There'll be no more curse of sin. We have a room in our Father's house that's being prepared for us. There's these beautiful promises that we know that we have, but we have not yet gotten to take hold of them. There's a waiting period. Right now, we are sojourners. I love that word there in verse 10 that Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Sojourn it isn't a word that we use very often in modern English, but it just means to stay somewhere temporarily. Abram wasn't called to go live permanently in Egypt. He had to go there for a period of time out of necessity, but this wasn't meant to be his permanent home. And just as Abram was staying temporarily in Egypt, we are living temporarily in this world. It's our home right now, but it isn't really where we're staying long term. And this mindset affects the way that you live. If this world is your home, you are going to be uh, tempted to conform more and more and more to the pattern of this world. Right? I'll give you an example. If, if you are straight up moving to a new place, rather than just going there to live for a short period of time, that will affect the way that you choose to interact with the culture and adopt the customs of that place. If I, if I were to move to another country and I say, yep, I'm living here to the day that I die, I'm probably going to do everything I can to make sure I really learn the language well, learn the culture well. I'm probably going to start to learn to eat that culture's food and celebrate that culture's holidays and root for the local sports teams. Uh, in many ways, I'll start to see the world the same way that they do. Whereas if I know that I'm only going to be there temporarily, I'm not going to adopt as many of those local ways of life. 
Sure, I want to be understanding. I want to be respectful. I want to learn how to navigate that culture well, but I'm not necessarily going to let it transform the person that I am. And you know, Peter helps us to see how we should live with this mindset of sojourners rather than locals. And 1 Peter uh, 2, 11 through 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you see how this mindset of a sojourner affects your behavior? Peter's writing to Christians here. They're, they're living in this world. They're living in a culture that is very different from the, the culture of God's kingdom, the one that he's called us to. And so he's saying, hey, remember, you guys are actually sojourners and exiles. There's a lot of, of desires of the flesh that are going to wage war on your soul. It's the same kind of desires that all the people of the culture that you're living in are giving into. You need to remember to abstain from those things. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There's this idea that you are, are going to stick out and be different to some degree from the people that surround you. Their culture exalted, giving into the passions of the flesh, meaning giving into pretty much whatever desire it is that, that you have. But Jesus calls us to live righteous and holy lives. We find ourselves in this same situation today. And this is really what we got at in our Kingdom Culture series that we did back in the spring, those of you that were with us. Um, really all we did in the spring, we, we had a whole semester series where we would, were just examining what does life look like uh, in the, the Kingdom of God? What is the kind of culture that exists there? And then we would compare that to, okay, well, how does that compare to the culture that we find ourselves living in today? All of those sermons are on Spotify um, or on our website if you want to go back and listen to any of those. But as you can imagine, there were oftentimes significant differences that we would see in how this world wants you to live versus the way that the Lord calls us to live as citizens of his kingdom. Right now we live in this world and we want to adapt to the culture as best we can to reach it, but we cannot fully embrace the culture of this world because we're simply sojourners here and our citizenship is in heaven. We see this same idea in Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Paul wrote, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Right now, we eagerly wait. Right? We know we're citizens of a different place. Abram was waiting for the time that he could take, position, uh, take, sorry, take possession of the land that God had promised him. So how is it that he would live during this time that he was a sojourner in Egypt? Let's read on to find out. Going back to Genesis 12. We'll pick it back up at verse 11. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me. But they will let you live. 
Please, say that you're my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Okay, so we'll stop there. Abram goes down uh, to Egypt. He's going to live there as a sojourner, but he realizes that as he's moving into this place, uh, there's a potential danger, uh, which is that he has a hot wife. <laughs> what? It doesn't make any sense. Why is that a dangerous thing? Um, okay, basically, he's, he's worried that if the people of this land see that his wife is beautiful and he's standing in the way of them being able to get to her, that they will kill him and then take her as their own wife. Um, now, it's interesting that we read this. Abram is 75 at the time. His wife was 65, so they aged well. Um, but there's a couple of things that might explain this. One, people lived a lot longer at, at that time. Abram lived until he was 175. Um, so, you know, still probably looks pretty good. It wasn't even halfway through his life at this point. Um, also, different cultures can have different beauty standards. And we have, uh, we have a lot of laws that are in place to, like, we have pretty good law and order here in the U.S. I mean, it's not perfect, but we have a decent law and order. But when you think of, like, the Wild West, it, the term communicates the idea that pretty much anything goes because there isn't anyone there that's able to enforce the laws. And Abram is living in a time that's much more like that. So... It's not really an unreasonable fear that it's like, well, somebody might just kill me and try and take my wife. Um, so he has this fear that that's going to happen, and he hatches a plan to try and stop it. So his plan is to say that his wife is actually his sister. Okay, now this provides a couple benefits. First off, it allows them to live together without anything being weird. Um, second, it uh, might even allow him to make sure that he could hold off potential suitors that wanted to marry her. Uh, we actually see Laban doing this later in Genesis 24. He kind of seems like he's trying to delay the marriage of his sister. So, you know, it would potentially, seems like a decent plan on some levels. Uh, and it seemed to work pretty well at first. He was right in knowing that the Egyptians did indeed think that his wife was hot. Um, but the, the problem was that her beauty was, was so extreme that it was made known to the ruler of Egypt, okay, to Pharaoh. That Pharaoh is not his name. That's a title. It's like king. Um, so there's many pharaohs throughout time. So don't think of the same one that Moses dealt with later. So the, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, uh, hears about this and, and hears, oh, there's a hot girl that came into my kingdom. She's single. She's available. I'm going to take her. Okay, now we've got an issue. Uh, Abram might have been able to fight off some of the potential suitors that, that would have been there for his wife by acting like her brother, um, but this was not going to work in this case uh, when, when the king wants her. So his wife is taken into Pharaoh's harem. So kings, would, they, would have, they wouldn't just have one wife. They'd have you know, whole harems, like groups of, of women that they would use as their wives. And... Abram got rich off of this. He was treated well as, as being her brother. He got, you know, some nice animals and that kind of stuff. Uh, but ultimately, they're in a bad situation. And this is what happens when we fail to trust God and instead come up with our own plans about how we should act when we are living in a culture that is hostile.
Right? Abram knew that he, he was right on some things. He knew the Egyptians would think that his wife was beautiful, but he didn't seem to trust that God would protect him even if they wanted to kill him. After all, how is it that God could make Abram into a great nation if he didn't protect his life? He didn't even have any descendants at this time. So if God was going to, to keep his promise, then that meant that God had to protect Abram's life. But it seems like he was faltering in his ability to trust that at this moment. So he decides to take matters into his own hands. And in doing so, he comes up with a plan that is sinful and dishonoring to the Lord. First off, he lies when he doesn't need to. right? Like We know that God hates lying. Second, he puts his wife in a terrible position. She's, now been, she's going to be forced to commit adultery with this, this king that takes her in. And you know, sometimes we think we know how to look out for ourselves better than we think God does. But this kind of thinking actually just got Abram and Sarai into a bad situation. And it does the same when we try it. There's times where we, you know, we live in a sinful world that's hostile. The same way Abram was entering into a place that he knew was going to be hostile to him, right now like we're living in a world that in many ways is hostile to Christian belief and behavior. And there may be times where we feel like we have to do something outside of being faithful to God to protect ourselves, right? Maybe we feel like we need to do something unethical at work. Like your, your boss is asking you to do something that you know is wrong and unethical. And you're like, well, I have to do it or else I'm going to get fired. And we don't trust that the Lord is actually the one that provides for us. And that if we do the right thing, that we, just, we, don't, we don't trust that he's going to look out for us. Even if we do get fired, we have to find a new job. You know, maybe you feel like you, just because of the culture you live in, you're being forced to dress a certain way that you know is not honoring to the Lord, but you're afraid that you're going to become a social outcast if you don't do it. Or maybe you feel like you have to, like, cheat on a test or a project because, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to pass this class if I don't. And if I don't pass this class, what's going to happen to me? We don't trust that the Lord knows how to look after us when we choose to do the right thing. Maybe you're feel like you're tempted to lie about your beliefs when you're around a group of people that are making fun of Christianity or something that you hold dear simply because you don't want to be an outcast or seen as someone that's unpopular. There's plenty of situations that we can find ourselves in like Abram where we're tempted to sin because we think that we need to in order to protect ourselves. And you know, there may be extremely rare circumstances in life where you have to do something like that, like, I don't know, if you were hiding Jews and the Nazis came looking for them, I'm not saying you have to tell them, yeah, they're right there in the closet. Like, obviously, there's, there, there are extreme situations where it, it's, uh, it's right to step outside of what we would usually do, like telling the truth. But I think that most of the time, by and large, we are way too quick to do something that we shouldn't do in order to try and save ourselves. We find ourselves in these situations right now because we are living as sojourners in, in a land that doesn't honor the Lord. We're living in a world that doesn't honor God for the most part. And as we live in that different culture, it can be challenging to live a faithful life for God. For example, if everyone in Egypt rejected the idea of murdering a man and taking his wife, Abram wouldn't have been in a tough situation, right? 
if he just knew that everybody disagreed with that concept, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have felt the pressure to lie. But because he knew that he was living in a place that was like that, it presented the temptation for him to feel like he had to do something like this. And we live in a culture that's going to put pressure on us as well. It's going to put pressure on you to shape you and mold you into its image. And you have to decide if you trust God to take care of you or not. You have to decide if you're going to remain faithful to him despite the pressures that you might feel to look out for yourself in a foreign land. Let's read on and see what happens. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning them, and they escorted him away and his wife and all that belonged to him. Man, so Abram's sin had consequences, right? First off, I want to acknowledge the fact that sin does deliver something that you generally want on some level, right? Like Abram got a little bit of safety. He got a little, he got some riches out of this. Like sin does deliver something. It's just never able to deliver such a benefit that it's worth the cost. It does give something, but it always takes more away. And you know, we see that Abram and Sarai, they were hurt by their sin, This isn't mentioned explicitly, but I can't imagine that this experience was good for their marriage. (laughs) I just, I I can't see any scenario in which this is helpful for building a healthy marriage. Um, When we choose to sin, we think that we're getting something that we want. But we can always know that it is absolutely going to damage us at the very least. Think back to that passage that we read in 1 Peter where he warned against the passions of the flesh. What did he say about them? He said that they wage war against your soul. Wow, like sin hurts us on the inside. And it moves us further and further from the people that God wants us to be. If God loves us, and he does, and he's good, which he is, He only wants what's good for us. Remember how I started this sermon. What is this consistent idea that we see that God wants? It's to bless. He wants to give that which is good. When God commands us not to sin, he isn't trying to withhold from us something that's good. And we can see this. Whatever sin delivers, it's always taking away something that's more valuable. If you're really greedy, you might stockpile a huge bank account for yourself. But you're probably going to destroy relationships in the process. Which one's more valuable? If you have sex with all sorts of people, like it's, it's going to result in pleasure, sure. But man, it's, it's going to damage your ability to have deep, sacrificial relationships with other people, particularly with your spouse. Which one is better? You know, n- not only does sin hurt us, but it hurts other people too, most of the time. Pharaoh and his house, they were hurt by Abram's sin. Pharaoh did something wrong even though he didn't know it, right? And so he's taken this other man's wife as his own wife. He doesn't know it because he was lied to. And what happens to Pharaoh in his house? <clears throat> they start to get plagues coming down upon them. In, in this case, Abram is actually being the exact opposite of what he's supposed to be. 
right? Because not only is, is Abram supposed to be blessed, but he's supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And so here he goes to this other nation, and what he's done is actually bring a curse because of his sin. And these plagues start to fall upon the house of Pharaoh. When you choose to sin, you are almost certainly hurting somebody else as well. It's not just a personal matter, however, however much we might like to think that. There are direct consequences of your sin that hurt others. For example, if you lie, you cause someone to act on bad information. If you have sex with someone outside of marriage, you're also forcing somebody else to participate in that sin. Even if, you are, if you're watching porn, you're, you're contributing to demand that continues to make that supply keep coming. And the people who are making it are damaging themselves by creating it. But there's also indirect consequences that our sin has on others. There's a story in the Bible later in Joshua where um, you know, God had, was going to help Israel destroy the city of Jericho, and they weren't supposed to take any of the plunder from it. And this one guy thought, ah, it'll be fine, I'll take some of the plunder. And, and they go out, and they get routed in the next battle, which should have been a battle that was easy to win. And they're like, what is going on here? And it, it turns out, well, the, the whole, all of Israel suffered that loss because of this one man's sin that he thought that he could get away with. And eventually it's revealed what he did. We sometimes think, man, if this is just my own little personal problem, it's not going to affect anybody else. Biblically, I would say we, we see examples where it doesn't always work that way. That, that your sin can have effects on others that we don't even know sometimes. You know, even if it's something as simple as like, man, if I sin and I'm stuck in shame over that, maybe that stops me from going and sharing my faith with someone, which stops them from being able to hear the gospel. We don't know if God is ever holding back some kind of blessing from the community because of unrepentant sin that is hidden within it. So we know sin has serious consequences. It's damaging. It hurts us. It hurts other people. But for all the damage that it does, what's amazing is that it doesn't stop God from accomplishing his purposes. He protects his people and his promise, even despite their sin. And right, we see that here, where, where God supernaturally steps in to bring Sarai out of Pharaoh's harem, back into the house of her husband, and allows them to leave this land of Egypt. He cared about them, and he cared about the way that the world would be blessed through them. You see, guys, we're really good at creating problems, but God is really good at solving them. And just as he intervened here to make sure that his people were protected and reunited so that they could have the descendants that were promised, he has intervened to help us in our biggest problem. And our biggest problem is that we are stuck in our sin. And there's nothing that we could do, same way that there was no way that Sarai was going to be able to just walk out of Pharaoh's house. She was stuck there unless God did something to bring her out. And in many ways, guys, like we, we are stuck in the consequences of our sin unless God does something to bring us out. And that's exactly what he did. You see, when, when Jesus Christ came and we're, we're getting to enter into the Christmas season here, and, and there's a lot of fanfare about that, but there should be. Because what we're celebrating is the reality that when we were helpless, God stepped into flesh. And said, yes, you're trapped 
in the consequences of your sin. You're, you're trapped in this. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. I'm going to come into your situation. I'm going to come. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to walk this earth. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he did so to pay the penalty for our sin that you and I owe. And with that, some, some way that we could never attain righteousness on our own, Jesus freely gives it to us. Saying, I'll take your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. All you have to do is put your faith in me to be your Savior. I love what Romans 5, 6 through 8 says. It says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here, just like we saw in the story with Abram and Sarai, at the climax of the scripture, which is the gospel story, we see that God supernaturally intervened to rescue his people from a situation that they were stuck in. He brought these sojourners, Abram and Sarai, out of the land of Egypt and into the land that he prepared for them. He would do this actually, again, in an eerily similar way to their descendants later. Uh, you'll see this in the Exodus story, which we'll probably get to someday. Uh, but they look at parallels between this and the Exodus story, right? They, they both went ended up in Egypt because of a famine. Later at the end of Genesis, we're going to see that these descendants of Abraham end up going back to Egypt because of a famine. But they get stuck there. They get stuck there in, in slavery, the same way Sarah is stuck in, in Pharaoh's harem in Egypt. And with, with, um, with this, God supernaturally delivers them. He sends plagues, actually, in both cases. He sends plagues upon the house of Pharaoh here. Later, he would send plagues upon Egypt to bring his people out of slavery. And as they come out of Egypt, they were even enriched by the Egyptians. We see that Abram uh, received these camels and donkeys and stuff from Pharaoh. We see that later when God brings his people out in the Exodus story, he will be, they'll be enriched by the Egyptians as well. In all of this, he does it. Why? Because he wants to bless. He wants to bring his people out, out of that which is bad and into that which is good. And God wants the same for you and for me. The gospel invitation is open for us. If you're stuck in that which is bad, he wants to bring you into that which is good. He wants to bring us into a land that he's prepared for us. I love what Jesus told his apostles in John 14. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And that is that eternal home that we're longing for. You know, right now, we're sojourners. Right now, we're living in temporary housing. But praise God that there's an eternal home that belongs to our Father that we are invited into for eternity as His children. And so what does this require? How, how, do, we, how do we wrap this up? What do we learn from all of this? And I would really say there's, there's two things. One is that we must be people that learn to be patient and trust God. 
You know, Abram had to be patient to receive this promise. God promises he's going to give him this land, and then right after that, he's actually called out of it and has to go live as a sojourner. And he has to be patient in remembering this promise that God has given him. And he has to trust that God will do what is necessary to accomplish that promise. We have to do the same thing, guys. There are beautiful promises in the Scripture of what the Lord is going to do for us. We just saw one from Jesus there about preparing the, the, the room, the many rooms in his Father's house. Will we be patient, waiting for that promise to come true? And will we trust that he's going to do what's necessary to bring it about? Will we trust in the one that he gave us that allows us to even make it into that house? Just putting our faith in Jesus as our Savior. And the second thing, honestly, I would say is that we just need to, to live as sojourners in this world. This world is not our home. It's a temporary place that we are dwelling. But our, real, our citizenship is in heaven. And so as we live in many ways in kind of a foreign land right now, we need to be people that are committed to remembering who we actually are. That we would maintain the cultural identity, not of the, the place that we find ourselves living right now, but the place where, we're act, where we actually are from, where we actually live, where we're actually going. That that would be the cultural identity that we carry. That that would be what shapes the way that we think and the way that we live. As people who are obedient and seeking after the Lord rather than whatever the culture may seek after that we're around. I want to close just by saying that, man, we have an awesome God. His desire is to bless. It is abundantly clear throughout the Scripture that this is what He wants. The question that we have is like, are we going to trust that? Are, are we going to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you want to bless and I'm going to follow you? Or are we going to decide that we actually know better about that we can define good better than what God does? I, I hope and my, I pray for you guys that, that we will collectively decide to buy into what God says is good. That we would trust him, that we would seek him, and that we would live as sojourners in this world waiting for the better home that we have that's coming. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the home that you have for us. Uh, Father, how awesome it is that um, you invite us into your home for eternity. Man, what a blessing. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you delivered Abram and his wife, Sarai, out of Egypt. And God, I thank you for the way that, that you have supernaturally delivered us from our sin, not by any sort of good works or anything that we can do, but that you stepped in and, and you took it into your hands to save us when nothing else could. You're worthy of all of our praise, Lord. We pray that, that we would, would praise you with our lives and the way we think and act, but also, God, just that we'd praise you with our words and what we lift up to you now. So God, receive our praise. Be honored by it. Uh, we love you and pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.